it's been a weekend of crowds around the world. From the uh, crowds, or realistically the lack of them, um, at an inauguration, um, to the crowds uh, around the world, um, and half a million or more in Washington um, the day after, it's been a weekend of crowds. Something about crowds that is incredibly um, powerful, visceral. Something about the strength of numbers. There's something about the power of so many people in one place at one time. I don't know what the the biggest crowd you've ever been part of is. I've never been to a massive, massive demonstration. I think I've probably been in crowds of maybe up to, well, I suppose, Twickenham Stadium. It's 82,000. I've certainly been there. there's something about that sense of... It's quite awesome, actually, the power of a crowd. There's also something, on one level, um, quite safe about being part of a crowd, isn't there? You know, one person standing up and, and shouting about something feels very vulnerable, very uh, fearful. But actually, when you do it with a crowd, there is something about, I'm not on my own. This thing that I'm demonstrating about, this... Uh, this sort of situation that mustn't go on as it is, I can say something because I'm not just one, I'm, I'm amongst many. There's a power, there's a safety, there's a sense of strength in numbers, safety in numbers. And yet at the same time, of course, there is a danger to crowds, many of them. One of the dangers that we find again and again, and actually one of the dangers you find again and again in Scripture about crowds, is the danger of choosing to remain part of the crowd and refusing ever to be called out of the crowd. Remaining with the we when I also have to reckon with the me or the I. Thinking only in terms of us and this and not being willing to think in terms of, well, who am I? What do I stand for? What am I going to do? Now, that's true in campaigning terms. It's often very hard to get people to shift from being part of the crowd to actually doing something individually. It's also true of faith. What you find in the Gospels again and again is this big picture, little picture, shifting backwards and forwards between the crowd that come out to meet Jesus and the individuals, the people, the persons that need to respond to him. And time and again, we're reminded in Scripture that we are both part of the big family of God around the world, stretching around the world geographically and back and forwards through time. But we are also called one by one to follow Jesus and to respond to him. The, um, I'm sorry if you've heard this before. It's one of my favourite stories. I think it's the, the, the great tightrope walker, Blondin, apparently was doing a, um, a tightrope walk across um, Niagara Falls and had a great crowd of people there to watch. Um, and, and they were cheering him on, and he walked across Niagara Falls, and apparently he would walk backwards and forwards, and then he'd, um, he went across pushing a wheelbarrow and, and went across and sat. And apparently, I think it was, it was on this day that he very famously sat in the middle of the tightrope and cooked bacon and eggs, well, you know, over the Niagara Falls. And it was astonishing, and the crowd were awed and, and, and in wonder at it. Uh, and then he came back with a wheelbarrow, and he said to the crowd, do you believe that I can push somebody... Uh, in a wheelbarrow across the tightrope. And they all said, yes! Do you believe it? Yes, we believe it! Now, I don't know how he did this next, but, but effectively he then went, any volunteers? I hope it happened. In a sense, if it didn't, it's still a great story. Uh, and I'm not making a truth claim for it. I'm simply telling you it's a good story. Here's the thing. It is very different thing to be part of a crowd cheering something on 
and then to be asked, well, what about you? What about you? It's the danger, of course, in church life, isn't it? It's great to be part of something. It's great to meet. We may not be a huge crowd, but we're a community, something you can belong to, a family. But what about when Jesus says, so what about you? What about you as a person? What about you as a family or a household? What about you? It's what we're going to find happens in Luke chapter 5. There's a crowd and Jesus is teaching. He doesn't turn away the crowd. He doesn't look down on the crowd. The crowd's important. You want to gather people in to hear the good news of Jesus. That's why we want to grow as a church. Not because we're trying to build an empire, but because we want more people to know the good news of Jesus. But if you gather a crowd, you still have to be able to say to people, and what about you? And that's what Jesus does with Simon Peter. So Luke chapter 5, I'm going to read it for us, page 1032. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the net for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signalled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid, from now on you will catch people. And so they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So what is it that gives Simon Peter both the courage and the motivation, the willingness to move, from, move out from the crowd, to step out and to respond personally? Well, the first thing is simply that he realises that Jesus is speaking to him personally. He calls him by name, calls him Simon. He, he gets named Peter later on. Uh, in the Gospels, um, and Luke sort of makes play on that by calling him Simon the first couple of times around, and then he becomes Simon Peter a little bit later on. Peter meaning rock uh, in, uh, uh, in the Greek, and it just being that sense of, um, Simon, I know you by name. I'm going to speak to you. But also that he speaks to him in a way that he can absolutely understand. He speaks to him through fish. I don't know what your equivalent would be, Simon Peter does fish. I mean, the the bottom line is that ever since he was able to walk, he would have been out in the fishing boats. This wasn't one of these, uh, it wasn't in a day or an age or a profession that you would somehow aspire to, uh, you know, work your way through school, go off to fisherman's school, maybe graduate 18, 20, 22, make make it into a fisherman's fleet. This was something you did uh, in these days on your father's knee. You would go out in a fishing, fishing boat for maybe two or three or four, maybe even earlier. This is all he's ever done. This is all he's ever known. Fish and this lake and this boat. This is what he knows. Isn't that fabulous? Jesus speaks to him 
in a way that he understands, in a way that he can connect with, in a way that absolutely connects with his heart, with his very self. Jesus doesn't say to him, not interested in that, come over here and think, you know, theology with me. Let's go and, you know, sit in the temple and then I'll call you. Jesus comes to him where he is with his fish and his boat and he speaks to him this way. And he speaks to him personally. I suspect that growing up, Simon Peter, we get every impression that Simon Peter grew up in a, uh, in a uh, religiously um, fairly conservative culture. He would have known the scriptures. He would have uh, maybe aspired to and maybe occasionally got the opportunity to visit the temple on the great feast days. There would have been a sense in which he counted himself absolutely as belonging to God's people. He was part of the crowd. He belonged. If you'd said to him the day before meeting Jesus, do you think God would speak to you personally? Would even know you personally? I'm not sure what he'd have said. My guess is it would have been a concept he wouldn't particularly have understood or got his head around. Yeah, God speaks personally to people like Moses and Abraham and Esther and Rachel. But me? Would he even know me? Jesus says, Simon, go fish. And the great thing is Jesus knows fishing even better than he does. I mean, isn't that a great moment? Here is Peter, Simon Peter, who has fished since he could walk, who has fished on this lake since he could walk. He knows it absolutely like the back of his hand. He hasn't caught any fish all night, and Jesus says, do it this way. Now, I don't know what it is in Simon that makes him say yes. I mean, uh, it must have been something in the, the person of Jesus that he met, something about his authority, something about his confidence. Maybe he just thinks, oh, gosh, you know, just to shut him up, I'll show him. And, of course, what happens? Actually, he discovers that Jesus knows exactly more about fish than he does, exactly more about fishing than he ever will. It's a hugely significant moment in a life of faith. Or if not moment, it's a significant journey in the life of faith to begin to realise that God knows me personally, speaks to me personally, and, here's the killer, knows how to live my life better than I do. I think we struggle on that third one a bit. It's one thing for God to know my name. Maybe there are moments when we believe somehow eyeball to eyeball, maybe in worship or prayer or particular moments in life when we think... God speaks to me, or God is aware of me, or there's a connection, but that God knows my life better than I do, that God knows how to live my life better than I do. I like to feel that there is one thing in my life I'm an expert on, and that's me. Don't you feel that? I, you know, you, none of us are very good at taking advice. There are particular areas of my life that I'll take advice on, because I know I'm an idiot on it. There are other areas of my life I hate taking advice on. Uh, for example you know that the quickest and easiest way to lose a friend is to give them advice on their parenting. Is that not true? Uh, especially uh, unasked for advice on their parenting. Nobody wants to be told how to do this thing that is closest to our hearts. Uh, you don't want somebody coming in and telling you how to do your job better. You don't want somebody coming in and telling you how to do your relationships better. This sense that Jesus comes into Simon Peter's life and speaks to him personally in a way that he can understand and in a way that shows him I don't just know you, I know your life even better than you do. God has made us, he loves us, he knows us, he speaks to us. The beginning of stepping from the crowd 
into being what the Bible calls a disciple, a follower. The one, somebody who themselves follows Jesus is to believe that, to recognize that, to experience that. God in Jesus speaks to us as us, knows us by name, knows our lives better than we do. Every part of them, not just the religious bit on a Sunday, but the parenting bit on a Sunday night, if that's what you're doing, the working bit on a Monday, the meeting with friends for a coffee on the Tuesday, whatever it is that your life is shaped by, that he knows that even better than we do. And he's interested in it, that he's committed to it. It's the first thing that calls Simon out of the crowd. Jesus speaks to him personally. And if you're sitting there thinking, well, he doesn't do to me, my suggestion to you is spend a bit more time listening for it. Start to believe that God might have something to say to you, even this week. Dare to pick up a Bible on a Monday and say to God, if you're really going to speak to me, will you speak to me through this? Dare to look back at a day, at the end of the day, and actually go, where's God been at work today in my life? When you start to listen for it, when you start to look for it, what you find is that God speaks to you an awful lot more than you think. God is at work in you an awful lot more than you imagine. Don't miss out on that. But here's the second thing that convinces, motivates, draws Simon out of the crowd to walk with Jesus as a disciple. And it's that even this call is in itself a gift, a privilege, an incredible honour. Verse 6. When they had done so, in other words, when he's obeyed Jesus and um, let down the nets again in deep water, and they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break, and they called people in to help them. And then verse 8. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. That he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. Now, on the face of it, this is a bit of a non sequitur. So, he hasn't caught anything overnight. Jesus speaks to him personally. Turns out he knows fishing even better than Peter does. He says, put your nets down out there. They catch all the fish. And you'd imagine at least that the next thing would be that Simon Peter would at least go, wow, Lord, you're amazing. Actually, what he does instead is to go, I'm a sinner. You better leave me now. Sort of the opposite of what we'd expect. We'd sort of expect Simon Peter at that point to be going, stay with us, stay with us, go on, we'd want to catch more fish at least. And he says, no, 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 go away. I think the penny that's dropped for Simon Peter is that the man in the boat with him is somebody so remarkable, so full of the presence of God, so other, if you like, that even though it's his own boat, Simon Peter has no right to be in the boat with him. Jesus has stepped into his life and Simon Peter goes, I've got no right to have you here. That's the force of this language about I'm a sinner. Get away from me. It's not that he hates Jesus, it's that he looks at himself in the mirror and says, I don't deserve you here. In other words, what you're offering me is a gift I have not earned. I could never be up to. I guess on a, maybe not trivial level, I guess, but on a personal and a human level. If you've ever been on the receiving end of somebody's affection and love, sometimes it happens to us if we're a parent and you have that moment when a child just 
gives you their unguarded love and you catch yourself thinking, I'm not sure I deserve this. Or in a, a, a relationship, a partnership, a marriage. Or in just a really good friendship when you just think, I don't deserve this. There's this gives us a a little taste of what's going on here in Simon Peter. One of the things that calls him out of the crowd to walk with Jesus is simply a sense of this is pure gift. I haven't earned this. It's not like I've somehow done a great big test and I've got my scores and yes, Jesus has gone, right, you top ten, you come with me, you be my disciples. No, no, no. Actually, when you look at the twelve disciples he calls, they're a pretty raggedy bunch. There's no sort of airs and graces about them. There's no sort of trying to hide in the Gospels the fact that actually they're all a mess. I mean, quite apart from Judas, who betrays Jesus, Simon Peter is going to go on to deny Jesus three times. Simon Peter simply recognises this call is a gift, one he doesn't deserve. And he confesses his sin. He simply says, I am not good enough for this. And Jesus responds. Well, effectively, in his actions, he says, no, you're not but it's still a gift. This is still what I'm calling you to. I'm still offering this to you. In fact, I'm not calling you simply to be with me. I'm calling you to work with me. And and this is the third thing. That that Simon Peter is motivated, called, um, given courage to step out from the crown and walk with Jesus because Jesus speaks to him personally, yes, because he recognises that this call is a gift, not something he's earned, but most especially because he's given the honour of not simply being a follower, but a co-conspirator, a co-worker, a partner. It's what the word, word fellowship literally means than when we translate that word into English. It's got more of a word to do with um, being partners in a business, throwing in your lot together, doing something together. And Jesus says to Peter, I want you to do with me what I am now doing. Have a look at what he says. Don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch people. Again, he's speaking to him in language he understands, the language of fishing. He's speaking with reassurance. But he's also giving him a job to do. And it's not a job that basically says, right, I'm going to get on with the important stuff. You go over there and sort other stuff out, which is what we do with an underling, an assistant. What he says is, come and do the same thing I'm doing. Come with me. Come and catch people. Come and draw people in to God's kingdom. Come and call people out from the crowd to walk with me. Come and do the same as I do. Perhaps as a, um, an antidote to events of elsewhere in the world, we've been re-watching The West Wing. Uh, the West Wing, if you don't know it, and I, you really should, um, uh, was um, being shown 20, 30 years ago on American TV and then here, and it portrays a fictional uh, American president um, in the White House, a Jed Bartlett, President Jed Bartlett. Um, and um, uh, it's remarkable TV, it's beautifully scripted uh, and very powerful, very funny, very moving, um, and very inspiring uh, in lots of different ways. One of the things that really strikes me, though, about the different characters who portray those who work in the West Wing of the White House is that at their best... They are simply knocked sideways, each of them, by the fact that they get this huge privilege of working alongside the president. There's this sense of, I serve at the pleasure of the president of the United States. I serve at the pleasure of the president of the United States. That sense of, what an incredible honour. 
I get to work alongside. I get to be part of this. I get to make things happen. I get to change the world. Gosh, how much more of an honour it is to be called by the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Maker of the Universe, the one who is more powerful, more remarkable, more humble, more gentle and kind than anyone we will ever know. The one who speaks to us personally because he knows and loves us and who knows our lives better than we do. The one who doesn't say, well, when you're good enough, then you can serve me. But instead gives us this gift of call. What a privilege it is to be asked by him, come, walk with me and fish for people with me. Do what I'm doing. Do it with me. Now, you might be somebody that's been following Jesus for years. But it seems to me that for those of us who've been following Jesus for years, the danger is always to slip back into the crowd. Again, I'm rubbish at telling stories, so I won't try and tell the whole joke, but there's a joke told about the police officer sitting in an exam, and it's it's one of these case studies, and it basically lays out this, um, you know, you're walking down the street in your uniform and these five things all happen at once you know what do you deal with first you know there's a car accident and a burglar and the house is on fire and it you know lays it all on really thick and it's meant to be an exercise in prioritization and instead the person the police officer writes you know when it says what would you do next it says i'd put a coat over my uniform and slip into the crowd it's very tempting isn't it the anonymity of the crowd the safety of the crowd i'll turn up at church i'll be part of things it's nice to feel i belong And Jesus says, no, 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 out you come. I know you by name. I'm giving you this incredible gift you can't earn, this honour and privilege. Don't miss it out. Don't miss out on it. Keep walking with me. Keep fishing for people. It's still a danger, even if you've been following Jesus for years, to slip back, to put the coat on, to cover up the uniform. But equally, it's a danger if you're somebody that started coming to church relatively recently in life. If you're somebody that maybe hasn't always owned faith, the danger to find a church where you feel like you can belong, you feel welcome, feel part of it, feel proud of it, and then to miss out on ever stepping out and saying to Jesus yourself, you know me personally. I confess that I'm a sinner. I'm not good enough for this. I I haven't earned it. Thank you for forgiving me. I want to serve you. I want to walk with you. Please fill me with yourself. We're going to worship in a moment. And as we do so, I'd love to give us the opportunity to use these songs of worship as our way of responding. If you're somebody that's known Jesus for years, use these songs as a way of saying to Jesus, please help me not to slip into the anonymity of the crowd. Help me to step out and walk with you. And if you're somebody that's never done that, somebody that's never responded to Jesus yourself personally. Hear Jesus speak to you today by name. Dare to say to him, I'm not good enough for this. This is a gift I haven't earned. But thank you. I will serve you. I will walk with you. I will enjoy the honour of fishing for people with you.